Hi, everybody. This is Mr. Millman, a student assistance counselor at the high school. And this is Ms. Henderson, also student assistance counselor at the high school. Um, so this month for our podcast, Acceptance Matters, we're focusing on the topic of addiction, um, specifically drug and alcohol addiction. Um, so Red Ribbon Week is this week. So it's the 23rd of October through the 31st. And it's a week of activities that we are doing in our community to help students learn about addiction, um, specifically drug and alcohol prevention. So our students have created a website that's gonna be running all week with different facts, activities, videos, and a chance to learn more. Um, there's gonna be a raffle, some Amazon gift cards, some t-shirts, some water bottles, and students are going to have the ability to take pledges to be um, drug and alcohol free. And finally, we're gonna end with a trivia night on Friday, October 30th, for another chance for students to kind of face off and win some awesome prizes. Absolutely, yeah. I'm looking forward to all these opportunities uh, and especially the part where students can win prizes. Uh, I just wanted to say we really are looking at this opportunity to uh, you did a really great job with this podcast interview. I think it's really neat that you brought this person, um, you know, to the show and all for the opportunity for us to talk about that for a few minutes, just to kind of go over a few things. Um, yeah. So it was a 2009 alumni um, and she seemed like she really went through some tough times. What did you think really kind of um, was at the core of what she was trying to say, you know, with regards to what she was trying to achieve by participating in this? Um, I think that she strongly believes that sharing her real life experience with drug and addiction um, is going to help students. She feels like if she had that back then in 2009, that maybe that would have kind of helped her manage um, self-medicating and her mental health issues that she was dealing with. We talked a lot about how important it is for high school students to have these healthy coping skills because when they go to college, um, they're just exposed to so much more. There's a lot more freedom that comes with college, exposure to drugs and alcohol that maybe they didn't um, you know, see when they were in high school. So having that confidence to say no and kind of learning yourself and your body and making those healthy decisions to um, achieve your goals in college. You know, she talks about how she's in the midst of getting her master's um, and she's 29 years old. So she should have gotten that a few years ago. And unfortunately, her addiction really prevented her from achieving her goals. Um, so I think that, you know, her being so real and open and honest with us is going to definitely help the community and kind of make it more eye-opening for some students. Yeah, and I, I think it's really important for students to kind of be aware that, um, you know, once an individual kind of gets hooked into that and it deals with the emotional problems that go along with addiction, it really can kind of take one's life in another direction. And it really fascinated me that she kind of had a couple of um, things to kind of keep her in line or tell her that she was okay, even when she wasn't, it was kind of like things like she needed to, you know, um, she would never steal, uh, you know, the, yeah. what she call them, the, like the, the nevers, that the nevers yeah. and kind of get off track. Um, or she knew if she started not showing up to work or showing up to school, like her responsibilities, very driven. You can see this kind of incredibly driven, uh, person underneath all this. And, uh, 
kind of type A personality. That's the sense I got. Somebody who just really needed to kind of cheat. But it, it was almost this kind of torture there because she was driven so hard to be successful. And at the same time, things really started to fall apart. Uh, but at the same time, I think some of those very same things that were like a challenge kind of helped her to kind of turn her life around. She was so impressive how she kind of regrouped and really kind of, um, you know, as some of those things started to happen, she started to see friends pass away. Um, she went to treatment multiple times. And then finally, it sounded like she reached out to her dad and was like, I need this. And once she went through that 30 day program, I think she realized she needed more. Exactly. She, she ended up staying there for 10 months, um, all on her own. And I think that's the other point to drive home is that you have to be motivated for change. Um, mm -hmm. No matter how much, you know, people want to help you, you have to be the one to want it. And I think it finally dawned on her, you know, I'm out of control with this and I do need the help. And it's not a weakness, you know, it, she, she turned this um, addiction into a strength of hers to now go. She works for um, mobile crisis, working in schools with children um, and again, touching those lives and helping them to be their best and giving them those healthy tools feed. And I think it kind of comes full circle and she's just, She's an awesome person, and we really hope we can bring her in, um, yes, in person. So, yeah, without without further ado, please um, listen to our South Brunswick alumni. Thank you. It's like you're a drug. It's like you're a demon I can't face down. It's like I'm stuck. It's like I'm running from you all the time And I know I let you have all the power It's like the only company I seek is misery all around Thank you for having me. Um, I always wanted to kind of have this experience because I want to help, even if I can just help one person, go not go down the way the route that I went down um, it is all worth it for me so I graduated from South Brunswick in 2009 um, afterwards I went to Temple to get my bachelor's in psychology and now I'm currently at LaSalle getting my master's in psychology but throughout that entire time I was struggling with addiction you know I, I believe that I struggled with addiction even before I picked up a substance you know, even even at five and six years old, I always wanted more of everything. I was never satisfied with what I had. I was never in the present moment. I was always thinking about what was coming and how could I get more of what I wanted. Um, and that's a huge factor in addiction, especially because I'm a sucker for anything that makes me feel good, no matter what it is. It could be Cheez-Its. <laughs> I always want more and more and more, and I'm never satisfied. Um, but, you know, it wasn't until I was 12 years old that I actually picked up a substance. And it started when I had a friend who was younger than me, but she had always said that her parents felt good and were really happy when they drank alcohol. So we wanted to see what that was like. And so I, I drank alcohol for the first time. And from having that sip, that first sip and that first feeling of like warmth, I knew that I was going to be an alcoholic the rest of my life. Like I knew right from that moment. Um, and the first time I got drunk was also at 12 years old. And it just made me feel something that I had never felt before. I struggle with mental illness as well. And I struggled with anxiety throughout my entire life. Um, 
And so when I would drink and I would get drunk, that feeling of not being able to talk to anyone, um, you know, I felt like I could do everything and do anything. And it really filled this void in me that I felt like I had, you know, drinking took that those anxiety, anxious thoughts away from my mind and allowed me to do whatever it is that I wanted to do. So I started bringing alcohol to school in Gatorade bottles. Um, looking back at it, I can laugh now. But at the time, it was super, you know, that's a severe thing to do for a 12 year old to be bringing alcohol to school. Um, but it, it just it just helped me. And I remember thinking that as long as I keep my grades up, as long as I don't seem like an alcoholic, it would be okay. And that mentality kept me sick for so long. Uh, like I said, I'm getting my master's now, but I started the program in 2014. I should have been done in 2016, but due to my addiction, I, I couldn't do it. Um, so I'm luck fortunate that I'm finishing it now, but that mentality of as, as long as I keep the outside looking good, then it didn't matter what I was doing. That kept me sick for a very long time. Um, and then, you know, after drinking all the time when I was 12 and 13, it slowly progressed. You know, they say addiction, if you have the disease of addiction, it, it does progress, you know. And when I was 16, I started smoking weed. And um, once I started smoking, I really felt like that that was what I was going to do for the rest of my life because that made me feel better. I had a struggled with an eating disorder, so weed allowed me to eat and not feel guilty about it. You know, my my substances helped my mental illness, um, <clears throat> and so I just kept doing it. But it wasn't really until I got to college that my addiction picked up. Picked up. Um, you know, I would go to parties. And I knew that I had a problem because I would start, I would drink on Friday nights and Saturday nights, you know, when I would go to parties. And then shortly after it became, well, let's drink Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And then it became, well, you know, I have this test on Wednesday, so maybe I should drink on Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It continuously picked up and I couldn't stop it. And I had friends in college that confronted me and they told me, you know, you're an alcoholic, you need help. And I remember looking at them and saying, I'm not an alcoholic and I'm going to prove you wrong. And, and by proving them wrong, I switched to drugs. You know, it, it made sense at that time. It, it was a very rational statement at that time because I didn't want them to worry because that was affecting my inner life. You know, I, for so long, I tried to keep my outlet, my outside life um, well so that nobody knew. But now that these people were telling me they know I'm an alcoholic, I have to change it. So I had to switch to drugs. Um, and it was very irrational, but that's how addiction works. It, it, it makes you think very irrationally, but you think that you're saying something good, but you know, it just doesn't make sense to a normal person. Um, and so and then I, I would go to these parties and they would, there would be cocaine and then I would start using cocaine, which really helped my mental illness because I could really talk to everyone work. I would get straight A's. I was never failing anything because cocaine had me up all night studying so, um, and, and I came from a family where grades were very, very important. Um, and so as long as I kept my schoolwork good, I felt like I could do whatever else I wanted. So cocaine really helped with that. Um, and then it wasn't until, let's say, my last year of college that I got introduced to heroin. And that was really where my downfall was. Um, 
the only way that I can describe heroin to someone that's never done it is I, I say, <clears throat> imagine that you're in a car going under a bridge and it's raining. And for that split second of being under the bridge, that rain gets quiet and everything is quiet. Um, for me, that rain was my thoughts. You know, I had a lot of mental illness, a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety. So, and heroin was my bridge. I would, you know, whenever I would use heroin, my thoughts would stop and I just had peace. And it was that peace that I constantly craved. But that took me out really fast. And I didn't know, I didn't notice, I didn't consider myself an addict with heroin because again, I was working full time in psych hospitals. I was doing all these great things. I had an internship in Manhattan for the National Eating Disorder Association. I was doing all of these amazing things, but I was using heroin on the side. But I, but as long as I could keep my outside life looking well, then it didn't matter to me. Um, but I slowly started to realize I had a problem when a lot of my nevers were crossed off. I told myself I would never steal from anyone. And then shortly I was doing that. I told myself I would never, uh, never miss work to use drugs. And then shortly after I ended up missing a few days of work to use drugs or I was too sick to go to work because I didn't have drugs. You know, all those nevers that I said were slowly getting crossed off one by one. Um, but it started off fun. You know, the first, I would say the first two weeks of using heroin was fun. It was, I didn't feel like I needed it. I could just do it occasionally, but that went out the window real fast. <laughs> and short, shortly after, it wasn't just doing heroin on the weekends. It was doing it again. I followed the same pattern as my drinking. It became Thursday, Friday, Saturday, then Wednesday, Thursday. And then I would wake up and if it was sunny outside, I would use, or if it was raining, I didn't want to go through the rain sober so I would use it just I used every single excuse I could to use heroin um and then I started noticing that people around me were dying uh, my best friend she passed away from an overdose and you know at that time when she passed away I still didn't necessarily think that I had a problem. I, I only realized I had a problem when I didn't have drugs because that would that was when I would do all of these behaviors. You know, if I had drugs, it wasn't until they ran out that I really noticed that I'm going to do anything and everything in my power to get more. Um, and so when she died, I still continued to use because I, it, I was, it, I felt like it was, it was just a good crutch for me and, and it solved all my mental illness and made all that anxiety go away. So I just continued to use her dying was not enough to get me to stop. And then <clears throat> I failed a class in my master's and I've never failed before. That wasn't enough to get me to stop. You know, I, I had some, I witnessed some horrific things in addiction. That wasn't enough. You know, I couldn't stop until I felt ready. And I, w I was working in a psych hospital carrier clinic and, um, you know, my, I got a text one day, this was 2017, I got a text from my friends saying that my parents are having an intervention for me at my house when I get off of work. And I remember going, they're so angry. I was threatening everyone because I wasn't ready to stop. And they say an addict won't, won't stop until they feel it in their heart that they're ready. And that hadn't, that wasn't my first time being threatened with treatment. In 2015, I also went to a detox um, after a suicide attempt because I couldn't use heroin anymore. You know, I felt like I couldn't survive with the drugs because it, 
it, it just ruined me and I couldn't survive without them. And that's a very desperate place to be. Um, so when I got that text saying there was an intervention, I just started threatening everyone and I wasn't ready. But they sent me to a treatment center the next day. I went to Seabrook House and I stayed there for 30 days. But even that wasn't enough. Um, you know, while I was there, I was writing letters to my dealers because I was ready to use the minute I left that treatment facility. And that's what I did. Within about two hours of leaving, I used again. And it wasn't until 2018 where in that span of time from the first treatment center till 2018, my life just, I, I, I lost the ability to control it. Um, I, I was stealing from people close to me. I was lying all the time. I would have, I would, for example, I had to be at work by seven. I would wake up at four o'clock in the morning, go to Newark or wherever I had to go to get drugs so I could be at work by seven. And then I would leave, leave work to go on my break to get more drugs. And then just drugs were so much a part of my life during that year. Um, I lost so much. I lost more friends. I lost my will to live. I, I didn't want to live anymore. Um, just the lying and the cheating and the internal chaos that heroin brought me, um, I, I just, it, I, it brought me to suicide. I, I couldn't live that way anymore. Um, so one day in 2018, June, June 30th, I said to my dad, I need help. And those were the three hardest words for me to say, um, especially because when I thought about going into recovery, now I have this whole life that I can't use drugs for, which was terrifying, you know. But <clears throat> I told him I needed help, and they sent me back to Seabrook. I stayed for 30 days, and again, at some point during those 30 days, I didn't want to, I, I was feeling better, I was detoxing, you know, I wasn't sick every day, so I felt like I could handle it again. But it was there that I decided I'm going to stay longer, and I ended up staying in that rehab for 10 months, um, and I... It, it was the best decision I could have ever made for myself. And it was the hardest decision. But to get up every morning and be sick, be throwing up, have diarrhea, <laughs> to, to like sweating and having a cold, to, to dealing with that every time I ran out of drugs, it was just too much. I, I just couldn't do it anymore. So I stayed in the rehab for 10 months. And while I was there, they introduced me to 12-step programs um we went to meetings every day um they taught me how to live again and when the program was that the first um you're on different phases so like phase one was you you could have your cell phone back so i i got used to having my phone back and not texting dealers you know i had that support of the staff there and we went through my phone blocked everyone that was um a trigger to me and then phase two was you could get your car. So I learned how to get my car and be able to go places and I would come back and they would drug test me. So it gave me that accountability and while reintroducing me to the, to living again, you know, I had that freedom of a car, but I knew that I'd be drug tested. So it, you know, it really helped me. And then phase three, you could go home for sleepovers um, and stay the weekend, which was nice because I could go home to my parents' house where I used, which was so triggering to me, knowing I'd come back to rehab and get drug tested. So it really just integrated you back into the world. And then by phase four, I could start working. So I started working. I was taking classes while in rehab still. Um, 
and it was just really a blessing. But, you know, even with some time clean, recovery hasn't been easy. And I still see those behaviors and other things. You know, I, I get addicted to the gym. You know, I go to the gym and I won't stay for an hour. I'll stay for three. Um, you know, and my thoughts are still, I still wake up today and want to use because that's all I knew for 20 for 14 something years, that's all I knew was to use over any feeling. Um, you know, my grandmother died while I was clean and that was a huge trigger for me, but I used the, the, the fellowship. I used the people that I met, um, to really help me and guide me in this. And so here I am today getting my master's. I'm almost done with it. <laughs> um, and I just want to share my story so that someone doesn't have to go down the path that I went down. You know, if I could touch just one person, that's then it, all of it was worth it for me. So. Wow. If I could give you a huge hug right now, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Right? Like I get emotional too, because you've been through so, so much and you, you're such a warrior. You know, like you should be so proud of yourself for what you're doing you and so how you're helping people. Mm -hmm. You are, you are, and you're, you're turning your life around and you're, you recognize all the signs as you tell your story. Right. But it's like, when you're in it, it sounds like you just, you, you don't see it until you're, until you're out of it. Um, so you mentioned like a lot of awesome things um, that I think that we try to teach a lot of our students um, the behaviors, right? The, when you were 12 years old, you started it and you felt like, you know, I needed this for my anxiety. So like a crutch kind of thing. So mm -hmm. talk to me about the anxiety. Like when, when did you kind of recognize that? And it sounds like you use like an unhealthy coping skill to kind of yeah. get by. Is there any type of coping skill that you use now that you feel like has definitely helped and you kind of wish you knew back then? Um, as cliche as it sounds, I journal. My anxiety tends to be the worst at nighttime, right before bed. So I keep this little prayer box next to my bed and I write down, you know, whatever I'm feeling anxious about or something that I, I want to happen. And it's for some reason, it just helps getting it out of your head and onto paper. And I wish I had listened to, I've been in therapy since I was 13 for anxiety and depression. Um, and I wish that I had listened to my therapist back then because she said to do that. I definitely used drugs as a crutch and not only the anxiety, but with the anxiety came self-harm. And then with self-harm came an eating disorder. You know, I definitely used drugs because they, they filled that void in me, whatever it was, it just filled that void for me for so many years. But Definitely journaling and a lot of self-care. You know, I'll paint my nails um, when I'm feeling really anxious. And the one thing that I that I do is when I get really depressed, I don't want to shower. And this sounds silly too, but I force myself every day. I promise myself I will get in the shower at least once, you know. So I just setting these goals for myself um, really helps me get through. That's great. Yeah, the little goal setting is yeah, super important. Absolutely. Celebrating those small victories, right? Right. When you think back to your high school self, what do you kind of wish you knew? And like, how do you feel like freshmen coming in, you know, now with COVID, right? A lot of anxieties mm -hmm. developing, things like that. Um, do you wish there was like more services in the community for you that it was, you felt like you could talk to someone anonymously and kind of 
get that validation or do you like what kinds of things do you wish you could see I remember being in high school and wishing that there was someone I could talk to that wouldn't tell my parents <laughs> so I like that anonymous kind of um platform I remember wishing that I that there was some sort of um, therapist that I could talk to that wouldn't know who I was. So that anonymous kind of thing. And even just, you know, I, I saw the school guidance counselor, but I, I never got honest enough to share that I was in an addiction either. So it partly on mine. Um, but I guess I would say more people sharing their experience so that it, it feels real. And it's not just coming from a teacher teaching about how drugs are bad. You know, it's coming from someone that's lived it that can tell me that that may be fun for a few days, but if you have the disease of addiction, you're going down the wrong path. Um, so just more real life experiences um, that really, I think would have helped, at least it helps now. So I imagine it would have helped back then. And not just for addiction, but mental health. Like I struggle with an eating disorder. So if there was people that came in and talked on that topic, maybe I would have been able to get connected to them and then you know, have them in my network. But again, I also wasn't one to speak too much. So, um, but I definitely think real life experiences would be, would help a lot. And I can't imagine what the kids now are going through with COVID. That must be, first of all, you're coming into high school as a new student. Um, and then now it's COVID on top of it. So just as many services as possible. Um, and knowing that it's okay to reach out and get help for yourself, you know, before it gets too late. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Mr. Millman and myself, so we are substance abuse counselors. Mm-hmm. We do have that confidentiality with our students to not, you know, to get them into treatment if they want. But like you said, you have to be ready. Right. You can't, you can't hide it, right? We also feel like being in the high school is such a crucial age because when you go to that college, you're exposed to so much more, right? That's where mm-hmm. you were exposed to the drugs. That's where the binge drinking starts. So having those healthy coping skills to, as you become an independent, you know, 18 year old that you can kind of stand on your own and, and really, you know, know what to do and how to handle yourself. And I think um, also having so much freedom going to college, that was what really got me was being, I went from living at home with my parents to being in this college full of so many kids that are my age who just want to party, you know, and have that experience or that freedom and not have any accountability. So definitely having those coping skills uh, would have helped so much. How about your family? Um, It sounds like they're super supportive. Um, They Mm -hmm. sound like they've gotten you into treatment a few times. Um, Did you feel a lot of pressure I know you mentioned with grades when you were younger to kind of keep up that image and make them proud in a sense. Yeah. And I think, uh, well, I'm also an only child. So I felt for my whole life that I had to make them happy, you know, that their happiness depended on me because I was the only one that could give them, you know, grandchildren or, or good grades. And it was, it was all on me. And I, and they never pressured me in that sense. It was all self-imposed. But uh, yeah, they, it took them a while. They were always supportive of my, of my recovery, but it took them a while to really understand that addiction was not just willpower. You know, I couldn't just stop on willpower alone. That just, it's impossible. Um, And it took them a while to, to learn that addiction is a disease and uh, I needed the help, but they, they were really good about getting me help. Um, They supported me 
after I left rehab for the second time, I went to an Oxford house um, and I lived there for a year and they were just so supportive. And now today um, I told them I was doing this and they're, they're like rooting for me. <laughs> also, I guess one last question. If you could go back to your 12 year old self, right? When you took that first sip of the alcohol and you felt the goodness that it gave you and, and the help it gave you to be more of yourself, what do you wish you could have like said to her? knowing what you know now about addiction, about mental health. It makes me emotional. I, I really wish I could have just told her that everything is okay. You know, you don't need to pick up a substance. You are, you are enough the way that you are, you know, substance. It may, like I said, it may seem fun now. Um, you might enjoy that now, but you struggle with the disease of more, you know, you need more of everything that makes you feel good and you struggle with that. And this, this drug or this alcohol is going to take you down some wild roads that you don't need to be on. Um, but you, you're, I just wish that kids and others would know that they're enough, you know, so much of high school is the clicks and popularity and you know um who's the prettiest and none of that matters you know it, it's it will all go away after high school and, and it's it's just it's not worth it um you know i from that sip of alcohol i have been searched by cane like later on i've been searched by canine units i've watched people get shot i've watched you know people die in front of me from addiction um that alcohol might have seemed innocent, but it, I, I have a disease. I'm allergic. I'm allergic to drugs and substances. Um, so, you know, you are enough. <laughs> I can't yeah. stress that enough. <laughs> Thank you. I, I like that, that you're allergic, because a lot of people don't see it as a disease. You know, mm -hmm. we have to explain it's just like diabetes, or you mm -hmm. have to treat it, right, with cancer, even, like, so I, I love that you're allergic and it's okay. You know, you mm -hmm. know, it, it's okay to be allergic. It's okay to be around it. How do you right. feel now um, being around alcohol and drugs? Is it something that you struggle with still? Um, it is, especially, it depends on, on how I'm feeling. My mood really Im impacts it. Like if I'm struggling more with depression on certain days, I can't be around alcohol because I don't trust myself, you know, and but if I'm in a better mood, then it's okay, and my family can drink around me, and it doesn't bother me. Um, I definitely can't put myself around drugs. No, even on my best days in recovery, um, I'm literally an arm's, arm's length away from picking up again. One wrong decision, and I'm back to that cycle of hell, you know. Um, but for the most part, I can be around it. Um, but, you know, I still have my parents holding me accountable, and... I, you know, I have a job that I love that I don't want to lose because I picked up again, you know, so um, it really depends on my mood, but I try not to be around it if I don't have to, just so I don't have to put myself in that situation. Of course. And what is your job now? I'm a mobile crisis worker, so I work with children um, in Burlington County. And basically, we get calls from parents or schools saying that the child needs, you know, is in a crisis, 
and we go out and we do an assessment and then we link them to providers in the community. So we basically like do case management and sometimes, you know, a little bit of therapy here and there, you know, to de-escalate the client. But I, lo- I love what I do. Um, it's so nice working with children because I can help shape them and to, you know, help mold their minds a little bit on, on the correct path. So I love it. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds insanely rewarding, especially for um, what you've been through. But -hmm. I just want to say thank you on behalf of our school. Um, We would love to have you in for some in-person stuff when COVID is hopefully, you know, taken care of. So um, thank you for being so honest. We really Mm -hmm. appreciate your story. And I think that you said earlier, if you could touch one person, I think you're going to touch millions of people, especially with what you do.